with the latest SBL shoot around. We take a look at everything from the men's competition with a man who's created a remarkable coaching legacy after a 200-game playing career. Ben Etridge joins Chris Wright to bring you another men's SBL shoot around. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of SBL Shootaround. We're getting ever so close now to some real-life basketball action. Only three weeks away from the West Coast Classic and the fixtures have been announced as well. So everything feels a bit more real when you can have a look at the fixtures on, on paper. But we're also really warming up in our tournament to crown the ultimate SBL Championship winning team. 16 championship winners are now gone. We're down to the Sweet 16. So we'll go through that more on this episode and get some predictions from Ben and Mark Utley once more about who we think will end up making the final eight but also we've got some special guests as well two two men who have played big parts in two of those championship teams that are now surviving so a big show to get through plenty to talk about i'm chris pike but the man that you do want to get the opinions of and the man that dan hunt is a big fan of as we learned last week ben Etridge. thanks for joining me once again Oh, thanks for having me. I'm glad I've uh, managed to make it to show number seven. And um, <laughs> yeah, look, speaking to some very, very good people along the way and those conversations that I think, you know, perhaps people haven't been able to have or as we've, as we've mentioned before, if they, if they, we don't give these uh, legends of the game a chance to tell their story, mm. perhaps you know, a lot of people don't know. And some really, really great stories so far along the way. And, and Dan and Liam's hunt was um, was no different. Yeah, I had, a, I had a great time last week. And as we as we talked about on last week's show, when we were recording, it was too big to contain it to one show. So as you would have noticed, we released our normal episode of SBR Shootaround with our conversation with Dan and Liam Hunt, which was which was tremendous. And hearing Dan talk about how much Liam's success meant to him, but also talking about his own playing career and, and hearing Liam talk about how much it meant to him to have success at Geraldton, but also to hear him talk about what his, what his hopes are for his future. And like we talked about, there's every reason he should be aiming to play in the NBL during his career, and let's hope it, it happens for him. But we also released our special special bonus episode with with Mike Farrell, which I hope you've all tuned into as well. Reflecting back on last week, it was a it was a massive couple of episodes that we that we released, and and to me, I learned a lot about those three men, and I'm sure you learned a fair bit about them too. Yeah, well, I think one of the things that really stood out to me in the interview with Dan and Liam was the pride in Dan's voice when he spoke about Liam's accomplishments and, oh, and what yeah. he's done. And as he said, you know, he was probably most nervous watching watching um, mm. Liam get out there and play. And it sort of reminded me of you know, my dad watching me when I was coaching the rollers and that sort of stuff and the, the pride that he would be filled with and uh, the messages that he would send me and all that sort of stuff. So I guess no matter what uh, where you've come from or what your journey's been, that you know, we, we love the game and we all want to be successful. But when our when we're making our dads proud or our mums proud, that's probably the biggest thing that we can be proud of is that you know we're, we're actually doing something that's representing the name on the back of the jersey. Those people that have driven us to practice all those times, bought us our bike, basketball boots up when we've fallen down all that stuff so yeah just that that level of pride you could hear when dan was talking was was great for me to, to hear and michael farrell what can we say um, a bit of a larrikin and a bit of a mm. bit of a, a great storyteller uh, but his knowledge and understanding of, of the league isn't he Oh, unbelievable, yeah. And, yeah, and that's what I said, yeah. Playing with him growing up, he was one of those guys. He was so smart. I think it sort of came from not being the most athletic or the biggest guy on the court. And as he said, as a 16-year-old, he was, you know, getting driven to the, the district basketball on a Friday night with his with his SBL coach to sit down and watch them, watch people play. And I think, you know, that was a big thing as well that I took out of that, that you know, back in the day, we didn't have trainers and gyms and all these specialist programs and all that sort of stuff we we learned the game by going and watching and then going and trying to emulate our favorite player something that we saw happen and i think yeah. maybe we've got away from that a little bit as well we parents spending a lot of money on on different things when mm. you know just go and play the game of basketball you're going to get better yeah absolutely now as big as last week was i think this week's shaping up just as big ben so really looking forward to Running through the results of the round of 32 matchups in our NCAA tournament and, and seeing if you got had any surprises, anyone that the, the turnout from our listeners was fantastic. So they ended up deciding some of the winners on their own. So that was fascinating. And we'll go through our sweet 16 matchups and we'll get Mark Utley back on the line later in the show. And two very special guests from the Perry Lakes Hawks, Ryan Gardner, and from the Goldfields Giants, Wayne Creek. So 
really looking forward to hearing from both of those men. But first of all, on the NCAA tournament, we'll go through it in more detail a little bit later, but did anything really surprise you about our first round results? For me, I think the results went as we would have expected. A lot of those powerhouse teams of the early 90s managed to get through. Uh, really glad the, uh, the Swan City Mustangs get through. I think yeah. there's a, a team that just one of those one-off champions that sort of, you know, they didn't have a really long reign at the top, but you know, when they did, they were they were very, very good. So, yeah, no, look, really, really looking forward to having a chat later with Mark and, and great to see the, the fans getting involved and voting for their yeah. favourite teams as well. Unfortunately for the Coburn Cougars, their fans didn't quite turn out in, in great numbers. All three of their championship-winning teams lost out. And interestingly for me, it was the Lakeside Lightning that dominated their matchups with the Perry Lakes Hawks. So from those four straight championship-winning teams of the Hawks, which we'll talk to, to Ryan about later in this show, they only had one of those four teams that ended up advancing. Yeah, and I think that's a very, very good one that did, though. Uh, that that yeah, 2003 sure. Hawks team. Yep. Very, very strong. Matt Burston and, and Tom Garlop really bolstered them. So, but yeah, that's you know that's why we've opened it up. It's um you know it's yeah. not a, it's not been done by analytics. It's been done by you know, that eye test and um, who do we who do we actually think is going to win? Well, I'm really excited a bit by that as well. I'm I'm so glad that our listeners have got involved enough where we got enough votes where they could determine the results. So to me, that shows that they're getting involved. They're interested in it as well, and 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 that's what we want. So we want to get the opinions of of yours, and we want to get the opinions of Mark Hartley because you you guys know what you're talking about. But the fact that we can rely on our listeners to get involved and decide the winners is fantastic. One more thing quickly, from those four Southwest Slammers teams, only one of those survived too, unfortunately for for James Fitch and his and his men. Yeah, I think that, again, it may be a bit like the Parallax Hawks, a bit of the tyranny of uh, success. Mm. Uh, yeah. When you when you're super successful, people tend to maybe you know, look for those little opportunities to, to knock you down. But, uh, again, that 95 Slammers team that's got through is, is a very, very good team. And I wouldn't doubt James Fitch on the big stage uh, in any time. So uh, the next round matchup for them is going to be tough. Do that, does, does East Perth have a have someone that can contain James on that big stage? And vice versa, do the Slammers have someone that can handle Tom Jervis? So, um, yeah, yeah interesting to have that's that a chat. Great yeah. One of our guests right this week, Ryan Gardner. What can we look forward to hearing from him? What are you looking forward to, to chatting to him about? Obviously, not only a Prairie Lakes Hawks championship winning play, but also he was part of the... 1995 championship with the with the Perth Wildcats. I think Ryan is uh, the epitome of someone who that got every ounce out of his own talent. I think a similar mm. situation to Michael. You know, not super athletic, um, just a solid solid player, and his hard work and his grit got him got him onto those teams, and then also got him that, that gig with the Cats. And uh, when you talk about that name, part of a legacy with with the Hawks, but then it's almost basketball royalty with the Gardner name. Um, and, and basketball in WA, so a very big um, you know name to to carry, and and carried it. Him and his brother both carried it very very well in the league, and I think everything they did, as we spoke about before, you know, when you're you're trying to make your family proud, I think John would be very proud of everything that his boys had achieved. Yeah, I think so too. And also Wayne Craig, somebody that you've talked about on the show before about how you learned firsthand how good of a shot blocker he was, and he's far and away the leading shot blocker in in SBL history, but he's done a lot more than that. He was a championship winner with the Goldfields Giants. He's their current head coach. He's got a son that's doing great things, about to start his, his college career over in, in the United States as well. So there's plenty for us to, to discuss with, with Creaky. Yeah, I think Wayne's one of those guys that came in early in the early 90s and would have been watching basketball and honing his game and, and probably be interesting to see who he sort of looked at and tried to model his game on. And then, yeah, great success with the with the Giants, with championships. And then, you know, as you've spoken about before, leading the way up there in, in developing a, a winning culture again and, and building that pride in, in blue and gold. And uh, the way he goes about his business is uh, is extremely you know, full of pride and, and everything he does, he wants to do to the best of his ability. So, so, yeah, interesting to chat to him um, and also, you know, how, how he's following his son um, you know, yeah. going through the college system over over in the US. Now, the West Coast Classic, it feels a lot more real now that the fixtures have been announced. We're three weeks away and we'll be into the action. I'll get your thoughts on it on it shortly. I'll just run through the round one fixtures. So we get underway Friday night, July the 24th, and, you know, there's some, some massive matchups here that, that whets the appetite straight away. So it starts with the Junior Love Wolves against the Perth Redbacks at HBF Arena. Then the grand opening of the Willerton Basketball Stadium. The Willerton Tigers take on the Lakeside Lightning. We've got the East Perth Eagles playing the Calamunda Eastern Suns. So you'll be 
out there at Mirabuka. So they've given they've given you an interesting matchup. First up, Ben. Um, then the Southwest Slammers against the Mandra Magic in at Eton, and the Perry Lakes Hawks and the Warwick Senators at at Bendat. Then on the Saturday night, the Mandra Magic against the Perth Redbacks, Rockingham Flames and the and the Coburn Cougars, Calamander Eastern Sun. So you've got a big first weekend against the Willardton Tigers, the Warwick Senators and the Goldfields Giants, the Lakeside Lightning and the Geraldton Buccaneers. And then on the Sunday, we've got a couple more games. The Perry Lakes Hawks hosting the Goldfields Giants and the East Perth Eagles hosting the Geraldton Buccaneers. Feels a lot more real, doesn't it, when we can actually now look at those those fixtures. Yeah, it's tangible where, you know, three weeks away, you know your matchups in that first weekend. You can start to hone in on what your matchups are going to be, what your what your tactics are going to be. There might be a few coaches around there that have already started to script their first four or five plays of the game so that they can start off mm. on, the, on a good foot. Yeah, right there, we can almost touch it. We can almost hear the whistle blowing mm. and, the, and the ball's bouncing. So very exciting times. Basketball will be back. Hopefully, we some people will be able to come along and watch. And um, yeah, looking forward to having that chat uh, after week one about everything that's mm. unfolded and and seeing who's who's ready and who's not and as we've heard, who's taking it seriously and who's not. But I, could, I sort of feel, like, yeah, once we get to that Friday night, it's going to be game on. I would expect maybe um, a few early early foul troubles or things like that mm-hmm. as the nerves maybe get to get a hold of us. Um, but, yeah, just definitely looking forward to, to it being back. What did you think when you found out you'd be playing, your Calamanda team would be playing East Perth first up? Oh, for me, it's, it's a game of basketball. My job's pretty mm-hmm. simple. You know, there's probably not enough of a, uh, a rivalry there. But you must have had a little bit of a chuckle. Oh, yeah, look, it happens. It's like <laughs> we used to get, well, the Wolves would always get um, you know, Kalgoorlie in the first half of the draw. We'd always look at that and go, oh, yeah, we got Kalgoorlie. That's, you know, yeah. We've been sent on the road early. So, anyway, it, it happens and, and it is what it is. But we're all going to play each other once. And, yeah, looking forward to it very much. Now, before we get to our guests, the question without notice. Now, this one's a three-pronged question. First of all, are you much of a goal setter? Do you set yourself career goals, especially in terms of your coaching? Uh, I had done in the past. You know, I, I did um, set myself some pretty lofty goals, and then once you're in the in those positions, uh, then you reassess and you and you set your goals. I was very fortunate that you know, pretty much for for twelve years of my coaching career, I had a pretty um, lofty goal every four years, and that was to win a gold medal at a Paralympic Games. So you know, that's where your goals are. But then you also have those. I know it's so much goals, but those standards that you want to hold yourself to. So continually, you know, striving to be the best and finding those things that are going to uh, help you get better at your craft, and uh, I think never ever settling for where you where you are in your career at the moment. Probably haven't sat down and and done it, but yeah, would definitely probably in the next sort of six to or five to six months sit down and probably put together another little five year plan of where I think I'm going to go and what I want to do. So yeah, look, goals are important to have, short term, long term, um, but then also making sure everything you're doing is supporting those as well. I want to go back 10 years. If you had set yourself goals 10 years ago for the next 10 years, how close do you feel like over the last decade you got to achieving what you wanted to to achieve? I mean, you did a hell of a lot, so you deserve, deserve to be proud. But how did it match up with the goals that you might have set yourself? I would say I probably ticked off 90% of my goal. Um, that's, that's fantastic. Probably the, if, if anyone could say only, that, they'd be, they'd be delighted. Yeah, look, the, the one that perhaps eluded me and for whatever reason it did is I, I did set myself the goal of, of getting onto an NBL bench and being an assistant mm-hmm. coach in the NBL. However, you know, th- things along the way change and circumstances change and perhaps if I'd stayed in Sydney and, and coached over there and, and stayed there, then that more opportunities on that on that east coast and things like that might have might have come to fruition. So, but in saying that, um, you know, came home and and spent five pretty special years at the Wolves and was very happy with that. Another world championship and, a, and a, another Paralympics under my belt. So, you know, if that was the one that I missed out on, and again, I'm a, still a young forty six year old, so I wouldn't say that that's no longer a um on the card. So it might be on the next sort of five to ten year as we move forward. No, I mean, as a coach, you could easily have thirty more years left as a as a coach. So there's plenty of time still. That was that was my final question of this part. Have you have you or will you sit down and and set yourself the goals for the next ten years? And is there any of those that you might be able to share with us? Oh, look, for me, it would be you know getting back to being a head coach at uh, mm-hmm. at whatever level that might be, whether it's um, coaching in the SBL or NBL uh, one. Um, I've sort of you know started to have a chat to a few people around the place and would look at you know that next level. Definitely would think of a, a WNBL team, or if an opportunity mm-hmm. came up to you know work towards becoming a uh, an NBL assistant and work that sort of route again. 
you know, those are always on the cards. I have uh, coming up to the end of the, the Paralympiad, which we're in now. The Paralympics were probably about a month away from starting. Yeah, that would have been. Had, had sort of at the end of uh, last year, uh, prior to COVID, had already started to sort of put a few feelers out with some international teams as far as getting back into the Paralympics. So, you know, those opportunities are, are always there. Uh, reached out to a few European teams and, and sort of tested the water. And um, so, look, yeah, always sort of you know, looking around and, and trying to trying to find that next opportunity that is a good fit for me and, and my family and gives me the opportunity to do what I love. And as I've always done, use basketball as that passport to, to see the world and get those experiences for, for my kids and, and, and my partners to, to travel the world and, 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 and see it from that side. So, um, but yeah, definitely would be sitting down and again, plotting out that pathway and what needs to be done and how, how, how I could get there perhaps. Yeah, terrific. Thanks for providing that that insight. As always, you're open and honest, and I think that's what everyone's really enjoying about this show so far on SBR Shootaround. So thanks for that. That's our first segment wrapped up for this week. When we come back, we'll have a very special guest. Okay, back here on SBL Shoot Around, and this is a, this is a great treat again for for us, Ben. And I, I've got to spend some time up in Kalgoorlie with with Creaky, and obviously when he comes down to Perth, I try to catch up with him every every chance I can. And he's always generous with his time, and and great for him to join us here on on SBL Shoot Around. And he's a he's a great of the Goldfields Giants for what he did as a player, championship winner. As we talked about, he's far and away the leading shot blocker in in SBL history, and he's now doing great things as a head coach. So plenty for us to discuss as we go along on, on this on this chat, but. First of all, Creaky, thanks very much for joining us. How do we find you during these strange times in the world, but we're getting closer and closer to basketball coming back? Uh, yes, well, gents, thanks for uh, having me. And, uh, mate, I'm going to – I'll slip you that 50 bucks for the great intro uh, <laughs> in the in the uh, mail, if you like, because uh, if I need a PR person, you're the man because you make me sound really, uh, really, really good. So uh, keep up the good work. <laughs> it's well-deserved. And before I hand you over to Ben, when you do reflect back on that journey, and I, I spoke to you about it last year when I was up in Kalgoorlie with you for, for a little while, your history with the club has started as a development player and, and grew up watching some legendary players and learning from them then you got to play with them you got to play in a championship and then once you finish playing you've continued to come back and and give back as a coach because the club means so much to you when you reflect back on on a journey that's now lasted you know 30 years what what goes through your mind Oh look, I, I think uh, funny enough as we were just talking about it before as a as a young kid back thirty years ago, you just wanted to get out there and play and mm-hmm. and you know, we didn't have all these things that we have today and so you got down to the courts, you watched these guys who were feeling life itself running around and, and in the early days, you know, I remember like Doc Earl when he first came to Kyogle and he started playing and we had the likes of Paul Snoopy Graham who went on to be an NBA player and yeah. as a as a seventeen, eighteen year old, you're looking at these guys going, Man, that I just want to be that guy. I want to be there. So you know, that's that's where it all starts with that passion and desire to get out there. And and uh, you know, fortunately for me, that I I managed to do that as a development player, as as we said, and and uh, managed to go along and play you know for just what 15 seasons mm-hmm. so you know when you go through all those years and and different teams and teammates and coaches you just become a part of something that becomes very um ingrained in you and i think out in the country because we are i think all country people are very sports orientated you know there's, it's just very much driven everyone goes into sport and so it becomes a part of you you become a part of it it's part of your life and, and 30 years down the track it's uh, something that means a hell of a lot to you because I've spent more than half my life doing it so yeah. as a player you want to win you want to do well and as a coach now you still have the same goals but I want to see a lot of young guys come through get the training that I may maybe I didn't get and give back and try and develop as many young guys and, and have the club be successful. So it's it, it means a hell of a lot that it's, it's such a big part of your life. And, and even now, um, with the Giants having a Division One team, you know, my two older sons are, are training in our squad at the moment. So, you know, to have them be a part of that, it, it, it's pretty special. So it makes me very proud that, um, you know, whatever I've been able to contribute, it's had an effect on the club and, and the team itself. So it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, great story, and a lot of it resonates with me, as you say. Being a country kid and, and growing up, and, and sport being the biggest thing in the town on on the weekend, and, and all that sort of stuff, and being sort of you know in that Kalgoorlie area, and knowing the um the AFL 
sort of pedigree that a lot of people have was was it always going to be basketball or was there ever a uh, you know an oval shaped ball in your hands and and people looking you know, looking at you with your athleticism and your size well funny enough when i was i don't know was 13 ish i was playing football and playing for the Boulder Tigers out here and uh, as a young kid and um, I got a broken arm during a game and had to sit out the rest of the season and summertime came around and got down playing basketball and I thought actually I enjoy this a bit more than football and and then uh, I never went back to football so kept on kept on playing basketball you know the next couple of summers and you know um, went through had some I played in some really good junior teams and um, I was far better ba- uh, football player than I was basketball player earlier on and it took me a little while to figure it all out so you know, I had all these guys that I played against, uh, played with and against that were so much better than me but um, fortunately you know a couple of summers I you know over a summer I sort of grew about four or five inches and, and then everyone sort of starts to take notice and, you know, that, that people love tall people around basketball. So yep. sort of got an invite to the Giants squad. So, um, yeah, if I hadn't have had a broken arm, I probably would have gone down the football path. That was very much a thing of my family, football and cricket. Yep. Basketball was unheard of. So broken arm and, yeah. And that set me on a different path. And when you first got to the Giants, like who, as you said, you know, Doc Earl was there and Snoopy, but was there one person in particular that perhaps took you under their wing and saw something in you that, you know, 312 games of SBL were under under your belt and, and, and something like that, that they saw that potential in you and, and put that time and, and effort in? Or was it more you were just left uh, of your own accord? A little bit of both, a little bit of both there. There was a, a player who was actually uh, the captain or one of the co-captains, I believe, in the inaugural season, uh, Mark Della. And, you know, I was in the development squad in the first year of the Giants. So then when I came in to the squad, he would actually give me a ride home from training. So after training, we'd shoot 50 foul shots each and he'd make 49. I'd, I'd make about 10, so uh, <laughs> every rebound, every every missed shot, I had to get the rebound and dunk it. So, And we worked together, and he, you know, he'd pass me a lot. I'd work on my shooting, and, and as he was sort of in the twilight of his career when the Giants came around, so he um, then went on to be an assistant coach in, in later years. So I spent the first sort of portion of my Giants career under his tutelage and Mark was fantastic really smart guy and uh, just had a lot of time for me and so he set me in the I guess on the right path and uh, then I guess along along the way you have different people that sort of pop up here and there you know Jeff Williamson in the in the early years yeah uh, as one of the coaches he was more uh, I guess involved with teaching me the game of basketball and understanding and then um one of my all-time favourite coaches, a local guy still here in town, uh, Jeff Hobber, who took the Giants through the early 2000s. And, and Jeff was just a, a really passionate uh, coach, really invested in the local guys and the young guys. And he just he just had this, he just got, has this real drive and passion just for the game itself. You know, he just wants everyone to do really well. And he's my all-time favourite coach that, um, you know, if, if you, if it, as a coach, if you can take a portion of what he does, you're going to be a very good coach. And there's a few guys along the way, but definitely. And he's all, always uh, in a pair uh, of shorts, I believe. Uh, yes, always. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, definitely those two guys. Yeah. Uh, well, it is. It's actually starting to get a little bit cool right now. So some of the guys have been playing at training. But, um, you know, it is what it is. And it makes it tough. And how do you find it, we are sort of speaking off air before, like going from the generation that we came from and, and how we learned to play the game, as you said, there was, you know, a guy sticking around with you after practice and, and helping you out and, and like that. How have you found that transition? I guess having some teenage boys might help you as well, but that transition to how when it was like when you played to coaching this, this new generation of, of ballers that we've got. Oh, it's completely different. I think, uh, you know, back in the early years, we were driven by that desire and passion. Uh, there was a lot of unknowns. You know, we didn't have the ele- electrical devices that we have today and the technology. So, you know, we were getting down there and we were just being taught by, you know, these older guys being there and done it. So you took it all in. You're a sponge and you just learn as much as you possibly could. And not to say that young guys these days don't do that. It's just they're not necessarily, in my opinion, not necessarily looking at basketball itself and learning the game they're more so seeing the NBA players they see the NBL and it's like yeah I can do that step back crossover you know whatever they want to call it but yet they can't actually make a a proper jump shot or they don't understand the structures of the game offense and defense so you know as we were learning because we had no other choice because it was just the coach that was put in front of us 
and we got taught. I remember, and I've, I've told my sons this, that when I was about 18, I used to go to the library and take books out on basketball. Yes. <laughs> and that's how I sort of started learning the game. And they look at me and go, I sort of said, what's the library? You know, what's a book? You get that sort of look on your, on their faces. And whereas, you know, they just YouTube it and they're watching all these guys with, you know, crazy athletic ability that can dunk the ball or they can shoot half-court threes, but yet they don't necessarily know how to play the game and they don't know all the little intricacies and the variables of what can happen and, and so on and so forth so there's a big difference and I think with the coaching that I do with a lot of young guys now it's let's just bring it back to the basics and let's learn how to play the game itself and, and be a little bit more pure about it there is a big difference in in respect and uh, sometimes I think some of the young guys look at you and think you know what are you talking about but when they sort of buy into it they sort of go yeah, okay, it makes sense, and that's what I need to do, and, and they start to play, which is really good to see. So they, now, going back to your playing difference. career, um, you were all pretty much the whole way through, you were part of a really good Giants team, but you just couldn't quite break through. But in the end, you know, perseverance paid off, and you got the fairy tale. Your last game was the grand final victory in 2007. Yes. Um, what, was, what was the feeling like to finally break through after, you know, for the 15 years before that, you'd been pretty much close to being a contender for most of those, most of those years? Yeah, uh, the early years, not so much, but um, sort of come the mid-90s, uh, the team, I think, became accustomed to the league. You know, we had good imported players, but some good Aussie players come in, the locals had adjusted, and it sort of set the tone. And uh, 95 was the club's first grand final, which was uh, unfortunately a loss to Bunbury. Yeah. And then we went to 2004, uh, which, again, was a loss to uh, Perry Lakes, yeah. at the old Perry Lakes. And then, you know, but at the team, we'd sort of set ourselves to a level. So we got to, you know, 2005, 6, 7, and, um, you know, we'd been there about at 2007. It was interesting because it was my last game. We had, a, we had a fantastic team, and for my, in my opinion, that's probably, I, I feel, the best team that has played for the Giants as a group, um, even though they went on to 2008. But, you know, that last game was sort of a little bit bittersweet. It was my last game so it was actually pretty mm. sad that it comes to an end even though my body at 35 years of age I was I was broken I was worn out I still you still want to play but to go out on a high like that it was uh it's pretty exciting it was pretty special my kids were there as well but um you know everyone's going pretty mental and crazy and I'm sort of going well this is awesome but I've just retired so it's <laughs> not yeah, yeah so it's, it is that little bit of sweet but you know, if you, everyone says a fairy tale, yeah, it was. You know, my kids are there. I've got photos. You know, I remember the game. I every now and again, I'll catch up with Mike Haney. I didn't mm-hmm. play a hell of a lot in that game because I was getting towards the end of well, the end of my career. So yep. being the old man or, the, or granddad, as they used to call me. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so. But, you know, I talk, I've spoken to Mike Haney a few times and you know, we sort of have talked about things like that. And you see some of the old faces like, you know, Seamus Ballantyne and, and um, you know, the word champion when you introduce, you know, you, you sort of say good day to each other comes up. So, mm-hmm. um, because you go back to that. So it is pretty special. Obviously, you know, Ben, you've got a couple of titles under your belt. So it is pretty special to, you know, to be part of that. And um, it's a memory that you you won't forget. And you say that you sort of felt that that 2007 team was probably the best best team that the Giants had played. What what was it that made it that? Was it talent? Was it the the fact that you'd been through so much together? Was it there was there something that defined it? Was it the fact that the boys knew it was your final season and last game they got around you? Like what separates them from from the others? Uh, well, look, you've you've probably sort of crossed it all off. It was all there in varying levels, so. I think you're throwing all those aspects and you've got the championship team that we were. But I think, you know, we had the skill level as a group. At that time in the league, we had the best point guard, in my opinion, um, in Seamus Ballantyne. Right. Best best point guard, best Aussie point guard that I've seen and played with, smartest guy running the team. You then look at, you've got Mike Haney, somewhat feared, American import, you know, six 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 seven hundred ten kilos, very smart and um, very scary to play. With let alone against. So, um, you know, as the older guy on the team, a couple of times he scared the crap out of me because he was just <laughs> so intense. And then we had Ty Shaw, who was just an absolute workhorse. So, you know, and then you had the backup guys, the, the local guys that had been there for six, seven years. So we had that experience. So, you know, we had a good talent pool and we had the experience. But you know, probably outside of that, the biggest thing was 
there was just a great bunch of guys. You know, there was poker nights. You know, the guys would get gather around and, and hang out. You know, we'd we'd would do the bus trips back then. So yeah. you know, me being a little bit older, and I'd sit up the front of the bus and sort of have have a nana nap. And the amount of times you wake up and they're singing songs and you know having a yeah. few beers and whatnot, and just the camaraderie was had been built up over a period of you know three or four years with a very similar core and Mike Haney was here for four years so he had that stability but it was just just a great bunch of guys that gelled together and it was a common goal that we just wanted to win and uh, I think as a group we'd all been around long enough that we knew what it took we knew what we had to do and we just wanted it and you know it all sort of worked so that camaraderie was probably the biggest thing that's one of the things I look back on at the most and just you know watching the guys have a bit of fun and, and be you know just be larrikins and enjoy each other's company was, yeah, the thing that really, really got us over the line, I feel. Another fun fact for me is that, um, like the Michael Jordan getting cut from his high school team, but I actually put, I was coaching under 16s at Willerton and I put Seamus Ballantyne in the uh, Division 2 team at Willerton. <laughs> and, um, to be fair, I had uh, the two two starting point guards from the under 16 state team, Adrian Witten and Brent Vaselli, in, in the team already. And it's just like, like if you bring Seamus in, he's not going to play behind these two. He, he's going to get more time in the 16 twos, but yeah, if I can uh, hang that, hang my hat on that, it was the one to put him in 16 twos, and uh, yeah, well maybe that was that was the turning point that yeah, so right, possible, I've maybe. got a point to yeah. prove. But even then, he was that kind of kid. He's just probably that not as athletic as Adrian Witten, and probably not as strong as um, Brent Vaselli, but. Again, super smart, um, saw the game and, and understood the game and used that as part of his, um, I think, the way that he could get, he wasn't going to beat you with his first step or out-jump you, but he would out-think you. And that's, uh, I think, what carried him through his career. As, um, and now, you know, if he if he's coaching or if he's involved in coaching, that's probably what he's quite putting on into his players there is that, that knowledge of the game. Yeah, I, I definitely he's the coach of Willerton, isn't he? Is he? He's a he, yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah. So, but definitely one of the smartest players I've ever played with, and, and then you throw in Mike Haney, who was equal, equally as smart. Yeah. You know, we were just a very smart team, so it all just worked, which is fantastic to be. You know, the decision to play on the extra extra year, and uh, it was all worthwhile. Now, interestingly, Cricky, just on our on our NCAA tournament for the ultimate SBL championship team, your 2007 team, they got through the first round and beat the Geraldton Buccaneers, and also the 2008. Giants team got through and beat the Southwest Slammers of 1999. So they're both through to the next round. So that means your 2007 team is now playing yes. Lakeside of 2005 and the 2008 team is playing the Willington Tigers of 2010. Um, which, one, which one do you think will go further and how far do you think your 2007 team can go? It's right. You put me on the spot here. Very um, <laughs> tough questions to, to compare teams over time. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll do it this way. You know, I don't I don't know who's going to win between us and like 2017 and, and Lakeside and the 2008 team and Willerton. However, if I was put 2007 and 2008 together, mm-hmm. I'm going to take the 2017 team every time. Okay. Um, yeah. I, in, look, in my opinion, and no disrespect to the 2008 guys because there wasn't a huge change, but if I go back to the 2017, I guess for me, it was the first. So we had to get to there. We had to then do it. So you're, you're, you're going, you're, it's new ground that you break. So, you know, to actually get to that point, win, a, win the final in a, in a nail biter, it was mm. two point two points down in the last five seconds and we get the win. So, you know, we've done it harder. Whereas second year round, very similar team, they're already, you know, conditioned. They know what it takes. So I'd like to think that they did it a little bit easier. So I'm going to put the 2017 in front of the 2018. Mm-hmm. And also I played in the 2017 <laughs> team. So, yeah, yep. of course. But um, I, I don't see why there's – and if I'm comparing against how far they could go, I don't see why there's any reason they couldn't go all the way. And that's no disrespect because every team that you've got out there in that bracket, they could go all the way and win. Sure. So I don't think any – any team that wins a championship, it's never given to you. You've got to earn it. And yeah. all of those teams have earned their, their right to be in that bracket. Now, last time I saw you was you were just finishing up with the Blitz. The, the preparation for the SBL season was looking great. Your, your team was shaping up nicely. And, you know, we were pretty excited for how your team was going to go. 
Now we look, what, four months later and, and that preparation was basically all for nothing because you didn't get to play and, and I'm sure and I'm sure now things are very different preparing for the West Coast Classic. What What's it been like for you for the last four months to have had your team ready to go, to have that season ripped apart from you, then to get a team together again now and start up training again and get ready for the West Coast Classic that's three weeks away? What's this, what has this four months been like, been like for you? Yeah, well, um, look, I'm sure for everyone it was it was pretty tough. Um, obviously for us, we were playing in the first round, but we got yep. to Perth and we got off the plane and, and then Geraldton um, had called through and said that they were um, cancelling the game. So we're standing at the airport in the car park. So were you, were you we already in Geraldton? No, no, we got to, we, we flew to Perth and then we yep. were driving up to Geraldton, ah, so okay. we actually got to the Perth airport, we're in the car park getting our cars, and, and then Brad French is on the phone, our, our operations manager, organising our accommodation in Perth, because we had... Because you were to play Coburn on the Sunday, yeah. Yeah, that's right, so, and then it was like, well, do we play against Coburn, what do we do, so it was pretty, you know, we stood at the airport for an hour trying to figure out what the hell was going on and what do you mm. do, so um, credit to, to Brad for organising everything, you know, everyone was a bit dumbfounded and we get back and then obviously the season, you know, gets postponed, really interesting with, as a coach, sort of having everything planned, you sort of started to do your scouting and all this kind of stuff, and then it's like, well, hang on, what do I do now? So you sort of take a little bit of a backward step, and, and then every, every five seconds I'm getting questioned, you know, are we playing? You know, when are we trained? What's going on? And so the players had no idea either, and it was pretty tough because, mm. and for everyone it would be, that all of a sudden what you're expecting to be doing at that stage of the year is just taken away. And, yeah. and um, I guess for everyone globally who is going to sort of a, an isolation type scenarios we all have um you know you, you don't go see anyone you don't go out as much so there's a lot of things that changed and we were you know communicating through our messenger groups and, and things like that so there was always a little bit going on but um really really strange and and you know, it's unprecedented times, so mm. it was really different. But, you know, I put out training programs for, you know, the teams up here and sort of said, you know, pushed everyone to keep fit, uh, to study basketball in general. And then, obviously, we went for the, you know, what, nearly three months break. So, yeah. to be honest, in that time, other than, uh, and Ben, you can probably appreciate this, you do your homework as a coach. So, I was just, you know, researching and studying and, and looking at our structures and, and just different things and sort of, what do I need to rework? So it was good in that respect. It was also good to actually take a little bit of a break, to be honest. Yeah, as a gust, it gets winter up here, it gets pretty cool. So mm-hmm. not having to go and go to training when I'm sitting in front of the, the heater on a cold mm-hmm. winter's night was quite refreshing. Yeah. But And then you, you sort of come through when there's talk of it all happening. Again, the West Coast Classic coming on. You know, will it happen? Won't it happen? Everyone's getting excited, so you can sort of start to see the, the wheels turn again. And then when we got the nod and we got down to the first training session, everyone was super excited. It was great to be back, and we had our freedom back again. And um, got into that first training session, and the energy was fantastic. You know, the guys were just sort of jumping out of their skin, just happy to be out, hanging around each other, putting a ball through a, you know, a, you know, a hoop and, and um, you know, running around. And so the guys... To their credit, um, even though the first couple of sessions we had, they were a little bit gassed um, after it. And we went pretty hard, but the guys have sort of stepped straight back into where we left off. Uh, So a credit to them that they've just picked up and, yeah, we've been training quite well. I've got the guys going three times a week at the moment and uh, we are... Nearly, I would say, training sort of in mid-season form, if, if okay. I could. Uh, we've revised everything, and I've now got to a stage, you know, we had training last night, and we end up scrimmaging for a full, you know, 45, 50 minutes, and the guys loved it. You know, we got to that stage where it's like, guys, yeah, it's 8 o'clock, I want to go home and have some dinner, and they were like, guys, can we go another 10 minutes? Mm. Yep. Yeah, um, it's fantastic. So you know, we're we're really going along. I, I feel really well in that respect. Uh, and the guys, like I said, to their credit, they've done a great job getting through the lockout, you know, the, the unknowns, the uncertainties, and then coming out the other side and just being ready to go. And, and they haven't taken a backward step with what I've thrown at them. So, you know, really impressed with how we're travelling in that respect. And, and hopefully it puts us in a good position. 
It's good to hear. Yeah, we're, we're the same, guys. It's probably the only thing is, yeah, they're getting a bit gassed because they don't have that maybe 10 weeks of a pre-season under their belt. It's it's, it's a bit shorter, but what it, what they're losing in that fitness, they're definitely making up for in that exuberism, exuberation to, to get out there and play. Oh, definitely. You, you know, you, when you can't, you've been, when you get told you can't do something anymore, you, you just want it more and more so when you get given the opportunity you, yeah you do um, have that excitement um, and you just want to get out there and do it so I guess fortunately the thing with us here in Kalgoorlie is everything's so close say compared to Perth and we do have the opportunity to train as much as possible and with our trainings I have been running the guys pretty hard and trying to get as much game play in to try and get back that 10 week that you would do for pre-season that, you know, that we've missed so that's been my focus so I, I believe the fitter you are the better you can perform and function, not just physically, but mentally. So that's the key focus for me. Now, there's plenty more we could talk to you about, Creaky. We're starting to run out of time and we'll get you on again another time, hopefully once the West Coast Classic starts up and and get an update on how you guys are travelling. One thing I wanted to ask you about while I had the chance. Now, obviously, Ben is my co-host here on on the men's shoot-around show, but I'm doing a a women's SBL show with Randy Meagle as well. You spent a lot of time playing with Randy up in Kalgoorlie. What can you tell me about Randy that I can, can take back to throw it in on our next show? Uh, well, Megsy, as we always used to call him, um, Randy's a great guy. When he first came to Kalgoorlie, he was a fierce, fierce, fierce competitor. Mm. Um, a very smart guard as well, and he um, he led our team for quite some years. He's one of the things about Randy. You might you might <laughs> <laughs> um, you might ask ask him about oh geez, what was it? The Sylvester's nightclub. Yep. Now, if anyone's travelled up to Kalgoorlie back in the day, I'm sure, Ben, you might have been to Sylvester's once or twice. But, yeah, uh, I remember, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ask him uh, about Sylvester's nightclub and um, maybe a little bit of a bit of a showdown at the, I think it was called the Perseverant Cafe, which was across the road. He may have had a, a little bit of a debate with a, another person across oh, okay. the road and um, <laughs> Randy was um, very well known for being able to handle himself when a debate may have arisen so okay. um, yeah so alright I'll throw that at him next him. week and, and we'll see what we can come up with he may have an interesting story or two to tell excellent thank you <laughs> <laughs> no problems well you got a, one last question for, for, for Creaky Ben uh, I was just going to say, Ben, have you got have you got one final question for Creaky before we let him go? Yeah, look, I don't know if you, if you do remember Wayne. Um, do you remember Brian Etheridge? I do. So I'm Brian's cousin, and my, my first encounter with with Wayne Creek was as a 15 year old. I similarly just started playing basketball, and I was up in Bucket Budden with the family for it was uh, 21st. Right. Yes. My, um, I was blown away, absolutely blown away, the fact that I was able to, to go down to Muckleton Senior High School and shoot around with Brian Delphine, there was one other, and uh, just excited to be playing basketball. I was a 15-year-old and proceeded to have every shot I put up block in a, in a game of two-on-two <laughs> by you. Um, so that was my, and when we talk about learning the game, I, I very quickly learned either a finger roll or a floater to, to get it over the bigs, because no, no one of your dimensions um, existed in Katanning where I was growing up. I sort of realised very quickly if I was going to go anywhere that I needed to develop a, a bit more arc on my shot or, or, or a pretty good floater. Right. <laughs> well, Brian, Brian and I went to school together um, when yes. he came to Kalgoorlie, so and we played local basketball together. So, <laughs> but um, and I was just at that stage the tall, skinny kid. So, um, yeah, you know, yeah. if there was one thing I was good at, mate, it was blocking shots. So, oh, you're very good um, at it. Yeah, no, <laughs> just as long as I watching tennis, the ball just going flying overhead every time I tried to do a layup. So, yeah, and at that point, I was deciding: do I stay with basketball or do I go back to football? So. But yeah, it was uh, ended up being basketball for me. Well, um, I I'm sorry to maybe have traumatised you at the time, but uh, <laughs> but no, uh, obviously you've you've kept on playing and um, obviously you've done very well for yourself over the years as a as a player and a coach. So uh, very good. No, it was uh, yeah. Well, again, any opportunity that I got to play against the older boys or the the guys that were were better was one that I relished. And I think as you spoke about before, I think. Maybe that's where our, our kids need to be focusing as well. Throw yourself in the deep end and challenge yourself against those bigger and better players, and yeah, you'll come out the other end okay. It's, um, yeah. it's the way we learn the game. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And that's um, like with the young guys um, when you go to training and, and you practice, don't practice on one of the other young guys. You know, don't defend them. Go and defend the best player you possibly can because yep, exactly. you're going to get beat. You're going to get beaten, and that's the learning part. 
you learn what they do and how they beat you, and then you learn how to get better. And yep. if you keep just playing against your, your mate who's the same age and has the same skill level, your progression is very uh, a lot slower. So you know, sometimes you have to get beaten, you have to fail to see, and, and that's a, a, a great example of um, playing against the bigger kids, and it's how I learnt. So, um, you know, and I did okay, so yep. it's a great, great thing to do. Yeah, most definitely. I couldn't agree more. And not only were you a pretty good shot blocker, Creaky, you have still blocked 230 more shots than anyone else in the history of the SBL. So I think, Ben, the fact that you got your shot blocked by him, it's, it's at least at least you got blocked by the best. So you can always always, <laughs> rem- always remember that. But been a, been a great t- great chat, Creaky. Thanks very much for your time. And, yeah, there's plenty plenty more I wanted to talk to you about. So let's get you back on at some point during the West Coast Classic. But, but for now, um, I'll let you go. Thanks for joining us. And... You'll be back. You'll be down in Perth in three weeks' time. So hopefully, I'll catch up with you yes. with you then. Yeah, no, guys, absolute pleasure. Um, and it's great to obviously bring back some of the old memories and um, yeah, just obviously talk basketball in general. It's what we love to do. So yeah. really appreciate it. Thanks very no, much. Thanks, mate. Thanks for jumping on. No, no problem. Okay, back here on SBL Shootaround, and it's time to to dig deep into our NCAA tournament to crown the ultimate SBL championship winning team. And we've got through the first first round of results. So thanks to everybody that voted, and make no mistake, your vote counted. So our listeners were the ones that decided who went through to the next round, and there were some interesting results. So I've got Mark Utley has now joined us, Ben. So thanks to the Calamander Eastern Suns head coach for giving us some more of his expert opinions once again. So I'll throw to him once I read through these first first round results. So first up was the Geraldton Buccaneers from 2019 beating the East Perth Eagles of 1988 with a 79% fan vote. Then we had the Perth Redbacks of 1989 beating the Perry Lakes Hawks of 2018 with a 71% vote. We had the Perth Redbacks of 1990 beating the Perth Redbacks of 2017 with just 58% of the vote. The Swan City Mustangs of 1991 beating the Coburn Cougars of 2016 with 65%. The Jingle Up Wolves of 2015 beating the Coburn Cougars of 1992 with 81%. The East Perth Eagles of 2014 beating the Wanneroo Wolves of 1993 with 63%. The Perry Lakes Hawks of 1994 beat the Lakeside Lightning of 2013 with 58%. Southwest Slammers of 1995 defeated the Coburn Cougars of 2012 with 67%. Wanneroo Wolves of 2011 beat Southwest Slammers of 1996 with 82%. The Wilden Tigers of 2010 beat the Perth Redbacks of 1997 with 81%. We had the Lakeside Lightning of 2009 beating the Southwest Slammers of 1998 with 64%. Goldfields Giants of 2008 beating the Southwest Slammers of 1999 with 83%. We had the Goldfields Giants of 2007 beating the Geraldton Buccaneers of 2000 with 85%. Lakeside Lightning of 2006 beating the Perry Lakes Hawks of 2001 with 66%. And then the Lakeside Lightning again of 2005 beating the Perry Lakes Hawks of 2002 with 69%. And just finally, the Perry Lakes Hawks of 2003 beating the Hawks of 2004 with 61%. I'll take a breath. Mark, what stood out to you from those results? I think that the Lakeside Lightning fans are voting really strongly yeah. in that, and I'm good on them to do that. They certainly got through on a few that were slightly different. Most of mine come through, and most of them were in grants. So I'm looking forward to the Sweet 16, that's for sure. Yeah, fantastic that our listeners are getting involved in deciding the results. So if you're a Lakeside fan, why not? If you can help your team advance, then then get involved. Anything anything stand out from that, Ben, when, when you listen through those results that we didn't discuss earlier? I think for me, yeah, those Lakeside teams doing very well. You know, surprisingly enough, you know, uh, I think we've only got two Perry Lakes Hawks teams left after mm. their sort of um, dynasty. And same thing for the Southwest Slammers, um, yep. you know, four championships and to really only get one team through. But that's how things work and that's why we play for what's called March Madness. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're in July <laughs> because anything can happen. So, And one thing I will say is it's getting tougher and tougher every single week. Like this week when I sat down and and crunch the numbers, it's getting awfully tougher. And I hate it to this championship game and have to, to roll the dice. I've, I've got my first tie week, and I think oh, it'll no. be great to have a look at it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move straight into the Sweet 16 matchups. And, and, and like you said, all eight of these matchups are, are really, really tough. So we'll start with 
The Geraldton Buccaneers of 2019 and the Perth Redbacks of 1990. I'll go to you first, Ben, and get your get your tip and then mark for your analysis. I think for me, this one is is, is one in the paint. And um, as much as we love Liam, Liam Hunt, I think Luke Longley has his way down low. And, and that other matchup, that was probably very good for um, for the Bucks as Colter Lasher. Uh, I don't think, I think Blahoff is a bigger and better mm-hmm. version of him. And then for Young Dukas to have to match up on CJ, uh, I think that wily veteran, a bit bigger body, uh, yep. someone similar size would have made his life very difficult. So I'm going with the uh, 90 Redbacks to get that one. Yeah, I've got the 90 Redbacks as well. For me, it's just that people forget how dominant Longley was when he was younger, and they had a really good the beeswark factor that's there. I really like the backcourt of Alapada and Dukas. They actually win their positions there, but it's just that overall and then the bench that give it to the Redbacks. Next up, we got the Junior Love Wolves of 2015 against the Prairie Lakes Hawks of 1994. Sorry, this, this, one's, this one's going to be real fascinating to get, especially your thoughts, Ben. I look at that 94 team and, and across the board, I think it's very similar in their matchups, uh, especially with, you know, if you think of Hanson and Davis up off and, and Huntington and then Phil Thomason being that, that third big. I just think Hanson and up off were maybe uh, slightly uh, a level above and then in the backcourt, I mean, as much as I love uh, Trian and Seba, you know, CJ Bruton and Chris Carroll. Um, would be very, very hard for, for us to match up on as well. Um, and then their role players, Dion D'Agostino, Lee Malachuk, Ryan Gardner, Heath Gardner. I just think that depth of that 94 team is as close as I would have thought we w- we could have got, and we were very good uh, in that grand final. I just think, yeah, perhaps that size would have ground us down. Scott Harkis, you know, another big body that they're throwing out there at you. Dion D'Agostino, as I said before, they've just sort of got a little bit too much size and a little bit too much in the skill positions, I think, for us to handle it in that one. But uh, for me, um, I think Ben's an intelligent man. We're straight up perfectly matched in this one. I think the Hawks would get it. The duo of Upoff and Hanson uh, hasn't been seen a more dominant inside force than Hedridge and Utley dominating uh, Andrew's division <laughs> one Tuesday night. And I really like they win those issues and I've got the Hawks of 94 winning. Now, the second of your championship teams, Ben, the Wanneroo Wolves of 2011 against the Lakeside Lightning of 2009. Much similar argument to the Hawk taking us off in 2015. 2015, Jim. I think the 2011 team for me was was as good a team that I've been around. I think you know Maddox, Bedray, and and Greg Hire um, too much for for Prue to handle. And then a backcourt of you know Robin Salinas and, and Matt Schmechtig at the height of their powers almost. You know Robbo's coming off an NBL season, still the captain at the Wildcats. Seb's poised to have a run at an MVP caliber season, and uh, Matt Schmechtig was um, you know just doing great things for us at stage and um, I just think that's too much for that that 09 uh, Lightning team as good as they were I just think yeah a little bit too much across the board for for them with us I totally agree Um, 2011 Wolves team was a great team they were very big across all Maddox, Hire, Van Drill plus people forget that Robbins was in his peak as a wildcat there so I've got the 2011 Wolves as well we're three for three Ben yeah Next up, Goldfields Giants, 2007, Lakeside Lightning, 2005. Uh, again, it seems to be my formula is a bit different to, to Mark's and mine. mine is you get your five man right, get your point guard right, and you're going to be okay in the SBL. And that 07 Giants team with Haney and Shaw as monsters inside, you know, just two guys who just ate rebounds for breakfast and, and yep. dominated that paint. And then um, the guard combination of Ballantyne, Heron, and Hume, uh, I don't think those Lakeside. Lakeside guards could have held a torch to those guys. Uh, mm-hmm. The pedigree of, of Ballantyne and Heron is, is phenomenal in this league. So, yeah, I have the 07 Giants uh, in a canter against the 05 mm-hmm. Lakeside Lightning. Chris, why is Ben trying to be unlike me? Like, we're sitting on the bench <laughs> all year and we thoroughly agree. I've got 2007 Giants as well. Great minds think alike. They're dominant across the board and I actually have them winning this one as well. We might have to um, make sure that we're on the right track come season. Well, maybe that'll all change in three weeks' time on that Friday night once the West Coast Classic starts. At who, Graham? Come down yep. and play the Eagles. Yeah, absolutely. Now, next up, Perth Redbacks, 1989. The Swan City Mustangs of 1991. I'm really fascinated to get both of your thoughts on this one. 
Do you want to go first, Mark? Yeah, I will. This is my first tie. It's tied mm. at 5-all on my scale. Then I had to go to team chemistry, and I just actually put the Redbacks in across the board just with having a pure point guard would have got shots for people. Interesting, I saw my brother-in-law, Bryn Jones, who played for the Swan City Mustangs uh, today, and I sort of said that I've tipped it to the Redbacks, and I felt really bad, and he goes, nah, you've made the right decision. That Redbacks team with Blahov, uh, Pushed up the year before with the, what he reckons was a stronger team. So I'm going with Bryn Jones, and I've just given the nod to the 1990 Redbacks, but it was tied on the formula. Mm. Well, this will be our first disagreement of the season, Mark. I'm, I'm going to go with the Swan City Mustangs. I, I actually remember going to watch this grand final, and I remember driving around out to, out to Midland to, to watch this team play, and I... I think Roland Brooks and James Jackson at their at their peak were phenomenal. And if I can tell a quick story, um, and this is why, before Longley and Vlahoff were uh, who they were, Magic Johnson toured Australia with the basketball, uh, with an all-star team, and, and they came to Perth to play, and they played the Boomers, and Magic Johnson hit a three-pointer on the buzzer to win it. And later that night, Carl Holding and myself were, were with James Jackson and, and Roland Brooks, and we were standing at, at a local establishment. Apparently, you know, Magic was going to come to, to that place and Maggie Johnson walked into that venue um, the crowd parted and he walked over to, to James Jackson and it was like watching a watching my, me meet James and Roland he, he was like a little kid and Mark Aguirre was with him and uh, Roland bent down and he said Urban and, and Mark used to go and watch James play in the playground that's the amount of respect that they had for James Jackson they, they were now their way to find where he was that night and come and shake his hand and, and give him his props for, for who he was so James was a big time player I think Mark McCatherine at that point was at the peak of his powers he was a, a level above this league as well, uh, and then their Australian talent. I think, yeah, I think, look, like Mark, it's a tough one, but I've got a pretty bit of a soft spot for that Mustangs team as well, just given that experience that I had and, and saw the respect that one of the greatest players of all time and the respect that he had for James Jackson was, was phenomenal. So, Swan City Mustangs on a, on a handshake for me. Mm, and, and, and to put it in perspective, James Jackson didn't let you lose games, so it's a real hard one for me as well. I know, yeah, I, I, just, I just want to see how far they can go. I'd love this team to go a long way. Another really tough one. This is a toss of the coin for me. East Perth Eagles 2014, the Southwest Slammers of 1995. Ben? Uh, all right, well, I'll go. Um, again, just on that pedigree again, um, for me, the, the Slammers, um, you know, they, they do deserve to, to be there. They do deserve to be getting through. And, uh, whether or not this was the best team that they had, they still had all those pieces there. This is the first one with Ricardo, you know, Wade Bennett. Uh, and 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 James was extremely tough, and they knew how to how to win grand finals. They'd lost one before. Now, East Perth that season, Jervis didn't really play the whole season. They they got through in a uh, in a finished you know, everything guess, at the end of the regular season. There you go. So it's a bit yeah. like the '93 Wolves, right? really deep on the table. So look, I just think Slammers for me, given their their championship run they're about to go on, and and what they've done previously is their their back to back. So uh, Slammers for me in that one. It's interesting for me, this was another tie until it came down to the coach, and I respect both coaches, and it's really, really close, and I just hit the edge on knowing Adam Ford as a coach and where he's gone on to, so I've picked the Eagles in this one, but saying that, same thing, it was it was tied when I actually looked into it, and it's probably just that soft spot for Adam that ticked that over the edge. Well, our listeners are going to be deciding some of these results, so that's that's exciting. Wilden Tigers, 2010. This is another really tough one. They faced the Goldfields Giants of 2008. Yeah, this was, um, again, fascinating for me because in this one, we actually see Haney go up against Ty Shaw. And I think yeah. uh, a bit like the Al Erickson matchup prior to in the, in the first round, Haney versus Shaw would have been worth price of admission. Um, Daniel Dials, at the peak of his powers, super athletic, may have been able to disrupt DJ, maybe been a bit too much for him to handle down low. And then in the backcourt, again, I, I actually think that, you know, Seamus and, and Heron and Hume, at this point, they were they were as good a three-guard combination this league's seen for a while. So um, the 08 Giants get it for me in this one. Yeah, for me, um, the 08 Giants get it. Uh, the interesting one for me is the year before that Ty Shaw won with the other Giants team. So it was a matchup on Ty Shaw versus Darnell Dial for the five for me. Um, the one that got him across the line really was Seamus Valentine in the point. I love Adam Nina death, but that was a position where Seamus probably dominated that. 
Last one. It's a familiar story from the first round. Lakeside Lightning in 2006 against the last surviving Perry Lakes team of that, that four-peat that they had of 2003. This is as talented a team, 1 through 12, I think we've ever seen in the league, given that, you know, a guy like Lachlan Teasdale, who was a more than serviceable import, wasn't really dominating the stats. He was just out there doing all the blue-collar blue collar work. And then you throw in Trent Mager, uh, Lee Malachuk, and a Simon Blanahasset, who... Again, I, I don't think as... Teasdale was on this team. Uh, yeah, he was there. Yeah, well, I, was, I, thought, I thought this was the one where they had the import off the bench, Jalufka or something. No, this is Teasdale. He's on the roster here. And I, oh, right. Oh, uh, good. I think I think for him, you know, for that, and then you've got Matt Burston and uh, and Tom Garlop, you know, two two Virgin um, edge of making NBL rosters. Um, those two, uh, you know, again, add that extra level of depth. But yeah, you know, the names like Payer, Sinfield, Malachuk, Mega, Gardner, Blanahasset, you know, that's that's as good as an Australian contingent that you're going to have. And for me, I thoroughly agree. Like. I even raided it without Sal, and they won this one. This is a great team, the 2003 Hawks. Across the board, they dominated here, and it's hard to say with that, those light teams, but this Hawks team with Burston, they dominate this one. Yeah, fascinating insight, guys. And, and what, like in the first round, if you want your team to advance, then get on board, have a look on social media, and and vote for your team because you'll be deciding who goes who goes through and who goes through to the to the sweet eight. And it's going to be fascinating. And like you said at the start, Mark, it's going to get tougher and tougher once we get down to the final eight teams. Well, it's going to get to the point like Ben and I said with the 91 Mustangs versus the 90 Redbacks. That was the toughest match. I was sat there thinking and thinking about it, which way we go, and we both disagree. And, and mm. that's the great thing about this. There's some great teams still in it, and there's some great teams that have missed out but no fault of their own, really. Yeah. So it's been great. Before we let you go, three weeks away now from the start of the West Coast Classic. You're getting excited. Is your is your son's team getting ready? Mate, I'm absolutely wrapped that we're back on the court and ready to go. We got Ben up there doing his thing, helping us out, getting ready for it. And I think the Suns team just want to play, want to have fun. And that's what this is about, really. It's about us getting back on court and enjoying playing the game of basketball again. I think the season will be really good. I've looked at the fixtures. There's a lot of double headers. I haven't thought of that one out with my wife yet, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of double headers that we'll be doing. And I actually quite support that shorter season, even when it's SBL time, where you, yep. you only maybe play each team once, I think it's I think it's really good, and I think it's a fair component of it because it means that a shorter condensed season be intense. If anything, I would have just maybe had the shorter season with the traditional playoff run would have been yep. perfect yep. for me, but that's something they consider in the future. It'd be an interesting take to see if they were going to, you know something to, to think about, as we spoke about before, that little short season in between the end of SVL and before sort yeah. of, you know, that December break, just that 10-week, uh, I think it'd be there's merit in, in keeping this West Coast Classic around and, and giving it that opportunity for, you know, great opportunity for players, but, you know, we've always, you, you rock up to round one and there'll be, a, there'll be a referee or a bench staff or someone that hasn't been involved at SVL at that high-pressure level, and they're always nervous, and, you know, we use pre-season games to get get players ready it could be another another pathway perhaps for for officials to come through i know for myself and and you uh, we'd we'd happily allow our assistant coaches to to take the reins in a competition like that and and us to sort of sit back more as technical advisors perhaps and and yeah. help them develop so yeah, I, I really i'm looking forward to it i'm excited still got to clear the uh the, the double headers and road trips with um with the girlfriend yeah. as well but yeah I, I look at this as being something that's well worth keeping around and I, and I don't know about what you guys talk about with Ben and that. I, my nerve level and my competitiveness is no different to an SBL season. I just want to get out there and and play, and I just want to I just want to get on the court and do what we do. It doesn't matter what they call it; it's basketball. And as soon as that ball's thrown, we're ready to go. And whatever Suns teams out there, we're going to play as hard as we can. Yeah, we've talked about that before about how no matter what your preparation is like, no matter what happens, once the players are on that court, once the ball's thrown up, it's 100%. Everyone will be throwing 100% at it and everyone will want to win just as much as ever before. And Ben's seen it this week, the last few weeks, with with someone like Carl Aylett. I don't think he cares what the name of the tournament is. Yeah. (laughs) If you know the kid, he just wants to play. Yep. No, really looking forward to it. He's probably already bought four new pairs of shoes, mate. Yeah, he never gives me any, though. 
I look good in a nice bright pair. <laughs> uh-huh. Corey, Th- Corey, 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 rocked up in a pair of nine hundred dollar shoes the other day. Wow. wow! I don't know why. I think you paid him too much. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, see you guys. Thanks, see Mark. Mark. Yeah. Okay, thanks to Mark Utley for joining us there for, for his predictions on the, the Sweet 16 matchups. And, and as you know now that Ben and Mark have disagreed on quite a few of them, so our listeners will be deciding who goes through. So make sure you get on our social media channels here at SBR Shootaround and cast your vote over the next week, and we'll come back next week with our with our winners. Another terrific show, and, and thanks again to our, our special guests, our our guests are what is making this show so popular, Ben. So thanks again to to, to Creaky and to, to Ryan Gardner for joining us. I trust you enjoyed it all. Now make sure you continue to follow our NCAA tournament. And now by the time we come back next week, we'll be two weeks away from the West Coast Classic. So it's getting very close and becoming very real. I'm Chris Pike. I'll sign off for another week here on SBR Shootaround and leave you in the trusty hands of Ben Etridge. I think for me this week, it's just hearing the excitement in the, in different people's voices around basketball. You know, I know Mark's up and about up the hill to hear Creaky talk about his boys and how, how they're going up there in Kalgoorlie is excellent. Just that general you know discussions around basketball. Great great to talk to, to Michael Farrell last week and hear him and how enthusiastic he is about, about the league. And, um, you know, we're, it, it's tangible now. We touch it. We're, we're two, two couple of weeks away from, um, from the West Coast Classic. Um, the old school's two and zero in uh, their Warwick Social League. Um, everyone's everyone's enjoying basketball, and and we we're getting close to, to where we want to be back in the stadium, watching people run up and down. And, and the NCAA tournament, we're in the Sweet Sixteen, about to round the corner into the Elite Eight. There's some absolutely sensational teams left in the tournament so far. So as we said, get behind them, support your favourite team, um, vote them through, and um, looking forward to talking more basketball as the weeks progress. Yeah.